Welcome to The View from Apollo, a podcast where we discuss current macroeconomic trends and break down how they'll impact our investors. I'm your host, Torsten Slock. I'm Chief Economist here at Apollo Global Management. Each episode, I'll be joined by leaders from across our business who will share their unique perspective on the market factors that are shaping sectors and investment strategies. You can catch new episodes by subscribing to The View from Apollo on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or by visiting our homepage, apollo.com. Thanks for tuning in. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of The View from Apollo. My name is Torsten Slock, and I'm the Chief Economist here. On today's episode, we're going to be talking to Jim Vanek, Portfolio Manager in Apollo's credit business. Thanks for having me, Torsten. So why don't you introduce yourself to listeners and tell us a little bit about your role? Sure. Um, so James Vanek, I'm responsible for performing credit um, at the firm. I've worked at Apollo since 2008 in a number of positions, including um, being responsible for loan trading at the firm, primarily as a portfolio manager in senior secured corporate credit funds. So you've been in uh, credit uh, for your whole career here. I mean, people often associate Apollo mostly with private equity, but our private credit platform is currently the largest in the market. Um, Could you define for our listeners and maybe dimension the private credit and the private lending markets for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with them? Sure. So the liquid credit markets um, are obviously very well, well established, particularly those markets that Apollo traffics in most regularly, um, primarily the U.S. leverage loan market and European leverage loan market. Um, U.S. leverage loan market is sized differently by different institutions, but typically seen as around a $1.3 trillion institutional market um, that we are very heavily involved in and have been for a long time. Um, we manage portfolios of U.S liquid loan assets um, across a number of different structures, primarily CLOs, SMAs, and commingled funds um, on behalf of a number of different clients. The private credit markets, uh, particularly for large cap borrowers, are much smaller. Um, We've had a difficult time sizing those markets for a couple reasons. Number one, because this market for large cap borrowers is very nascent. It's it's early in its life cycle, um, and you're only just starting to see information really come out uh, as it relates to the amount of the 1.3 trillion liquid market that's been taken up um, by private private lenders. Uh, and two, a lot of that happens away from the typical sources that measure the size of the market um, that. Uh, identify who owns certain exposures. Um, it's again a, a very nascent, very young um, portion of a of a bigger, more established market. Um, but we think um, at this point, anywhere um, around five percent of that larger liquid loan market has been taken up by private lenders, and we anticipate that number to grow over time. And and how do you look at it, uh, private credit, from a longer term perspective? I mean, at the moment. The Fed is aggressively hiking rates and unwinding its balance sheet, and of course, doing that to combat the highest inflation rate that we've seen in 40 years. As an expert in private markets, how are you navigating this backdrop and this change that interest rates are going up, and the Fed is is so keen on on getting interest rates higher and at the same time running down their balance sheet? Sure. Well, it's it, it's a very important question, particularly right now, um, and in particular as you consider that. Almost all or all of the private credit markets are floating rate in nature. 
which means that these increases in, in interest rates and in particular base rates are going to increase interest expense at all the borrowers in these markets. I think there's two things I'd like to focus on. One that is um, directly something that we benefit from in the private markets. Um, and then the second is something that we think we indirectly benefit from as you think about what the future might look like. Um, that first element is structure. So the private debt markets carry with them much better structures from a lender's perspective than the public markets. It's a hallmark of all the loans that we make. Um, they have structures that are more conservative from our point of view as the provider of capital than you're able to access in the, in the public markets. And by that, I mean, there are much greater limitations on a company's ability um, to incur incremental indebtedness. There's much greater protections against RP capacity, doing something with regards to value uh, at the entity that you're lending to um, and allowing them to move it away from you. Um, there are much greater um, structural considerations as it relates to excess free cash flow payments, in some cases amortization, that typically downsize the amount of debt more quickly than you'd get in the, uh, the equivalent public loan. Um, in many cases, there's, there are still covenants. Most of those covenants are around a company's ability to access acquisition capital or a delayed draw term loan. Um, in, instead of just a, a regular maintenance covenant. But the, the structural protections in the private debt markets are much better than they are in the public markets. We can debate the value of a covenant in particular um, in what we anticipate will be a more difficult credit cycle into the medium to long term than we've experienced in the past. But we know that these structures are better for us as lenders in situations that are um, fundamentally challenged than any situation you're going to be able to buy into in the in the public markets. So that's one. It's an important reason why we've liked this opportunity set for some time. Um, and we think that it is necessarily only going to accrue to our benefit going forward. The second point I wanted to make that is connected um, to your question, Torsten, but we think is really important is our focus on large cap borrowers. Um, We've seen in every cycle where there's been fundamental difficulty or distress or headwinds or a higher default rate that your experience lending into bigger companies is, is better. These companies have more levers related to liquidity they can pull in a, in a difficult environment. They necessarily are in a better competitive place than other smaller businesses in their industry with regards to pricing, sourcing inputs, um, winning business, et cetera, which is important to outcomes when there may be less business to go around. Um, additionally, these companies typically have a much um, better recovery given default in scenarios where they do need to restructure, um, depending on what the economic environment looks like. Just to step back for a second, your, your outcomes are, are, in our mind, almost always to always better when you're lending to big businesses, which has been our focus within the private credit markets. We think it's an extraordinarily important um, element of direct lending, particularly for clients that may not have that as part of their direct lending portfolio currently, to navigate what is what is expected to be a difficult period going forward. And public markets, I mean, on the back of uh, the aggressive Fed rate hike cycle, of course, in credit have been both in IG and high yield and also in loans, they've been quite volatile. Uh, how does this uh, public market volatility affect uh, private lending? It's been indirect, Torsten. Um, it's not been direct. You don't see the same um, move wider in spreads in the direct market that you see in the indirect market, and it doesn't happen um, at the same at the same time. You see a gradual move wider in spreads in the direct markets as spreads in the indirect markets um, back up, which is 
Um, again, it doesn't happen concurrently, but you, you're definitely seeing a cheapening of, of opportunities that we're looking at in the private markets. Part of the reason why you're not seeing it happen directly or concurrently is that the private markets, from a lender's perspective, um, were probably too cheap for some time, and the public markets needed to back up in order to create um, a RELVAL environment that, that looked reasonable. What we're starting to see uh, a an increase in yields, an increase in spreads and coupons um, on a moderate basis um, due to what's happening in the public markets. The primary impact of public market volatility is that the opportunity set grows. So as sponsors, as companies that would look to borrow typically in the public markets don't have access to them um, due to volatility and also a reluctance on the part of banks to make commitments um, given difficulty with regards to their existing pipeline, you're increasingly seeing sponsors come to us to look for financing um, to move forward with companies' business plans, typically around M&A, um, around um, uh, growing their business through roll-up strategies, et cetera, where they don't have access to financing from the banks and the public markets are essentially shut, which they are right now, um, we're increasingly seeing opportunities that are really attractive in the in the private debt markets. Again, at modestly better returns, um, but at, at much better structures than you typically have access to as a lender in the in the public markets. So to step back, they're connected indirectly, but as you have this extended period of volatility in the public markets, that's starting to accrue to our benefit as private lenders too. Well, so let's talk a bit more about those opportunities in private lending at the moment when markets are as volatile as they are. I mean, corporations of size, for example, are increasingly seeking tailored borrowing solutions as well as execution and efficiency that don't exist in the strange traditional lending markets. What do large sponsors bring to the table that banks can't? Sure. There's two things that come to mind. The first of which you just mentioned, and that's um, assurance of execution, is, is banks are unwilling to make commitments or backstop deals given they don't have the assurance of the takeout. Um, it's harder for companies and for sponsors to negotiate capital structures um, to get to the appropriate place with regards to terms and pricing with the bank, given the bank is just an interme intermediary between that borrower and the institutional market. Um, if a company or a sponsor needs assurance of execution, um, if, for example, a sponsor is trying to preempt an M&A process um, or a company needs financing to engage in M&A quickly, they really don't have the option to go to the banks anymore. Um, given there's very little backstop commitments being made and also because banks aren't lending directly anymore um, in these markets regardless. So that assurance of execution is most important. Um, the second thing um, that is increasingly important, particularly as it relates to our business, is coming up with solutions that are tailor-made for the companies that need them um, and that fit their business model. The CLO market is extraordinarily efficient, um, particularly in, in periods of calm, um, as it relates to obvious types of credits that just want funded debt um, borrowing at the cheapest possible price. What CLOs are not good at is coming up with optionality in capital structures that allow businesses to engage on a business plan that may need embedded M&A capital, um, or, where a sponsor might want to put a delayed draw in in order to fund any type of, of work that benefits the overall enterprise value of the company. It's not efficient for a CLO to do that, but it's very efficient for us to do that. And when we do that, we're able to put incremental protections on um, the credit and things in place into the credit agreement um, that are better, more conservative, and improve our position as a 
as a lender that you don't get in the public market. So it's in our minds a win-win and that it provides the sponsor with the kind of capital structure they want, but also gets to a better place for us with regards to structural protections. Those are really the two main reasons that I think we're seeing an increase in demand for these kinds of solutions, in addition to the fact that obviously with market volatility, it's just much more difficult, if impossible, for companies to engage with the public markets right now. Well, and let's now look at this from uh, an investor's perspective, uh, especially because all this really impacts how individuals invest for retirement. They position their portfolios. So maybe talk to us about this. Uh, based on your experience, how do you see private credit deployed in portfolios? Sure. Well, it's an excellent product in particular for the type of individual you're describing for three reasons, which I'd like to focus on in this answer. Number one, um, right now, the biggest theme in the markets, in addition to volatility, is what's going on with rates. Um, rates have a very negative impact on the value of fixed rate bonds when they are moving higher. Uh, traditionally, fixed income was seen as an opportunity to clip a coupon over an extended period and most likely an opportunity not to worry about the underlying value of the asset that was paying you that coupon. Clearly, in an environment like we're currently in, that's not at all true. And if you take that a step further, um, the value of that coupon is being eroded by inflation as it reduces the purchasing power of a dollar um, that you had intended to receive regularly over an extended period of time. So traditional fixed income, fixed rate um, assets in this kind of environment are, are bad for a lot of reasons, both obvious reasons and, and not so obvious. The assets that we're investing in are almost entirely to entirely floating rate, which means that the yields on those assets go up as rates move higher. You do not need to worry as it relates to your overall income about receiving a coupon that's less valuable because rates are moving higher. You directly benefit from those increases in rates, which have been material so far this year. Um, and we anticipate um, are, are going to be something that needs to be considered going forward. That's the most important thing I would point out, Torsten. The two other elements to this that I think are important to point out are number one, you're going to experience less volatility um, on price if you're investing in the in the private markets, which of course is important in an environment like this that is very volatile. And number three, the assets that we're originating are all senior secured. So if you're concerned about the creditworthiness of the portfolio that you may own in a period of recession or more fundamental economic difficulty, our argument would be that this is the best risk you can own because it's senior secured and it's highly structured. Um, because we've done the structuring ourselves, meaning you have protections as a lender that you don't get if you're just buying a floating rate ETF in the market. So let's now step back uh, and look at this from a little bit broader perspective. Uh, private lending has obviously grown uh, quite a bit in the past five years. Uh, where do you see private lending going over the next five years? Sure. So I think that the private debt markets are going to take up a larger percentage of the existing public markets um, over time. We're seeing that now. I think it's probably been brought forward um, based on the volatility we're currently experiencing. Um, but it's a product that makes sense for sponsors. It's a product that makes a lot of sense for borrowers, particularly those um, that don't have um, obvious business models or um, are focused on growth. Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense for lenders or clients for a lot of reasons we've talked about, Torsten, um, you're buying something um, that, again, is floating rate, senior secured, highly structured. Um, we think it's a, a really attractive asset to add to anyone's portfolio. Um, we're adding it to portfolios for existing clients wherever possible um, and continuing to focus on it um, in all our 
um, corporate credit lending books, given we really like the risk return. Um, it's, it's a unique asset that makes a lot of sense for everybody looking at it, not just the borrower, but also the lender, including the sponsor. And for that reason, we think it's only going to see increased growth over time. I think a very important element of the next five years as it relates to the private lending market is going to be on what types of portfolios these assets are going into um, and how they look for the end user, the investor. While the leveraged loan market um, is a older market, it's a very liquid market, it's been around for a long time, it's seen standardization, it has a very large number of participants in it um, in a manner that's optimized it over time. This is a nascent new element to that market and I think that you're going to see portfolios types, you're going to see um, fund structures optimized over time such that it takes advantage of all the benefits of private credit um, while at the same time benefiting the users of those products, the investors, and manners commensurate with what they want in a, in a, in a debt asset around liquidity, protections, et cetera. Um, we're very focused on this point. We think fund structure is incredibly important, um, and we feel extremely good about the work we've done around our own funds that utilize these products. But I think it's going to be an important part of the growth of this subcategory over the next five years. So maybe to summarize, uh, that simply because it's tailored uh, in the sense that the lending is tailored to the corporation, uh, it's also tailored to the investors then from that very broad perspective, the huge advantage of direct and private lending is that, uh, at least from a broader perspective, it's at least a better way of uh, giving loans relative to the public markets where you just issue a bond and everyone gets the same conditions, no matter who you are, uh, e- almost even as a corporate, but also as an investor. Is that is that a fair way to summarize it, that it's simply just more tailored and, and requires more homework on your part, but simply makes it better as a product, of course, both for, for the corporate and also for the investor? I think that's a, a great way to describe it. it. It makes much more sense at this point in time to be coming up with solutions that are tailor-made for companies and what they want to do with regards to their own growth, their own reinvestment, et cetera. Um, we, we should be supporting that. And I think it gets businesses to a better place. Um, it creates better risk profiles for the investor. Um, it's just a more thoughtful solution to lending to companies in a way that is going to get everybody into a better position. And you obviously have strong relationships with the company that you're lending to throughout the whole loan process and throughout the whole period. So in that sense, uh, are you also then a part of the decision making and therefore part of the of the uh, the discussion with companies in terms of how they, they, they should strategically be doing their business? Yeah, very much so. It's one of our embedded advantages. One of the reasons we think we win in this area and other areas is that we can provide companies lots of different types of optionality around solutions to the capital that they may need to solve their very specific problem. Um, if a sponsor comes to us to talk to us about an M&A opportunity, um, we can provide them the entirety of a solution, the senior secured portion of a solution, the subordinated portion of a solution, advice on how to syndicate a potential solution. Um, and in many cases, we're already that company's biggest lender. Um, our scale provides us inherent advantages um, that we want to use over time to get to better results for our own clients, just as we have built out this credit business over the last 10 to 15 years. It's a very important point and something that, that we think allows us to get to a better place with the companies that we lend to. Okay, so before we get uh, to the end here, I mean, you and I often talk about uh, short-term developments in markets, uh, what's happening uh, for uh, rates uh, and for credit uh, in public markets, and of course also what the Fed will be doing. If you look um, out a little bit further out than, uh, than just the near-term Fed rate hike cycle, 
Uh, what gets you most excited and what keeps you up at night? Sure. Again, great questions. We've been talking for years and years and years about finding yield in a yield-starved world. Um, for a long time, our biggest um, and most important endeavor was generating yield and excess spread for clients while taking no more credit risk or reducing their credit risk entirely as it related to the public markets. That was extremely difficult in a broader fixed income universe where yields were extraordinarily low. And it was a dynamic that we existed in almost perpetually for an extended period of time, really other than a few brief windows of volatility since the global financial crisis. Right now, for the first time in a long time, we're generating assets that have high single-digit to double-digit yields um, in credits that we think are extremely safe with a lot of protections for lenders. Um, we're, we've moved wider and higher in terms of yields by hundreds of basis points than where we were even at the beginning of this year. Part of that has to do with rates being higher, and in particular, base, rate, base rates being higher. A lot of that has to do with just public capital market volatility. Um, but this is a extraordinarily attractive time to be investing um, if you're trying to earn yield, where for years, again, that preceded really 2022, you were unable to do that except for very brief points in time. So that's what's most exciting. What keeps us up? most at night is what keeps us up at night every day, regardless of what year it is, regardless of what's going on in the, in the broader markets. And that's making sure that we have credit risk box. We always want to make sure that the businesses that we're lending into are going to be able to navigate difficult environments. It's something that we're consistently extraordinarily focused on because that's our, our DNA at Apollo. It's, it's getting into credits from the bottoms up and understanding what they look like in different scenarios. Um, and it's making sure that we're lending into businesses that are going to do well in different environments. It probably is keeping us up late, given what we anticipate the medium term is going to look like, um, what the commodity complex has, do has done, um, and also what are sure to be headwinds to consumption um, coming forward. But at the same time, this is the work that we consistently do, that we always do. It's, it's done in processes that we have a lot of faith in, that we feel very good about, that have allowed us to outperform over time. So it's something that, that we feel strongly about, but that we are, have a heightened sense of focus on given everything that's currently occurring. So Jim, that's very interesting, but what do you have to give up um, if you decide to go into private credit? Sure. Well, the primary thing you're giving up um, is, is liquidity. These are assets that don't trade with the same kind of frequency or immediacy as the assets that go into an ETF, for example, or the assets that go into a lot of mutual funds. Um, they're going to be less liquid than um, on-the-run liquid loans. While there is an ecosystem around the private debt markets that's introducing liquidity, and it's something that we're extremely focused on providing, given we're one of the largest, if not the largest, trader of liquid credit in the world, you're giving up liquidity when you're buying private credit. Um, the benefits that you get from buying it, in our mind, far outweigh the limitations of owning it, as long as these assets are going into the correct fund structure, which is something that we're incredibly focused on. I think that's the primary thing I would focus on, Forsten. Well, with that, I think we've touched on a number of great points. Why don't we close out here, Jim? Thank you so much for joining me today. I know how busy you are at the moment. And thank you, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. Thanks for having me, Forsten.
Apollo Global Management Incorporated, together with its subsidiaries, Apollo, makes no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, with respect to the accuracy, reasonableness, or completeness of any of the statements made during this podcast, including, but not limited to, statements obtained from third parties. Opinions, estimates, and projections constitute the current judgment of the speaker as of the date indicated. They do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Apollo and are subject to change at any time without notice. Apollo does not have any responsibility to update this podcast to account for such changes. There can be no assurance that any trends discussed during this podcast will continue. Statements made throughout this podcast are not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for accounting, legal, or tax advice and do not constitute an investment recommendation or investment advice. Investors should make an independent investigation of the information discussed during this podcast including consulting their tax, legal, accounting, or other advisors about such information. Apollo does not act for you and is not responsible for providing you with the protections afforded to its clients. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, or service, including interest in any investment product or fund or account managed or advised by Apollo. Certain statements made throughout this podcast may be forward-looking in nature due to various risks and uncertainties. Actual events or results may differ materially from those reflected or contemplated in such forward-looking information. As such, undue reliance should not be placed on such statements. Forward-looking statements may be identified by the use of terminology including, but not limited to, may, will, should, expect, anticipate, target, project, estimate, intend, continue, or believe, or the negatives thereof, or other variations thereon, or comparable terminology.